The Straight Cash Podcast is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know Vikings ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. It's been rather remarkable, actually, how many Vikings fans have been at the last two road games. Obviously, everybody talked about Kansas City and how many fans were there, uh, but Dallas, too, it, it was rather, you know, I was surprised at how many people made the trip, but if you are looking to make a trip, obviously, the Game Time app is the way to do it. You can go into the app. You can see a panoramic seat view from whatever seats you are considering. You can buy tickets with two easy taps. There really isn't a better way to get tickets. So head to the App Store or Play Store now to download Game Time and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. Hello and welcome to the Straight Cash Podcast. I'm your host, Chad Graff, as always, joined today uh, by not only our editor extraordinaire at The Athletic Minnesota, but uh, our newly dubbed, I suppose, Gophers football writer, Zach Pierce. Zach, what is life like on the Gophers beat? That's right. I'm a double threat, Chad. Look out. Uh, That's, you're, you're a dual threat. I like yeah, it. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it's fun times right now. I'll tell you that. That game on Saturday was something else. Yeah, it's you know it was sort of a crazy weekend with how well things went for Minnesota sports, especially this late in the season. Gophers won, Vikings obviously won, uh, Timberwolves and, and Wild I believe did as well. So just before we get into all the Vikings, I know this is a Viking show, but Saturday was just I think too cool for too many Minnesota fans to ignore. You were at the game. What was it like? What was the tailgating like? The environment, the scene. Uh, all of that as you know the Gophers were frankly just a better team than Penn State well I did miss the tailgating because I don't trust myself to uh to refrain <laughs> but um no I mean it, it, it's crazy I haven't admittedly haven't been to um a, a whole lot of games at TCF Bank Stadium at least not uh Gopher football games but um clearly the best atmosphere they've they've ever had a sellout crowd uh and and you could feel it and you could hear it and it, and it wasn't uh it was not a, a split crowd by any means. There was one tiny corner of Penn State fans, and the rest was uh, was maroon and gold as far as it as, as it looked. So, obviously, the game was fantastic, entertaining. They got up early, which helped kind of keep the crowd in it throughout, and uh, held on there at the end. Got a little dicey, but um, cool to see everybody rush the field, and uh, and just amazing to think that in two weeks this team has gone from uh, you know fringe top twenty five, no one really talking about them to um by Tuesday night we're recording this Tuesday morning they might they might be in the top four of the college football playoff rankings that's just insane to think about and I was at the Nebraska game it was really cool the Govers obviously dominated Nebraska throughout um but you know I think one of the striking things that I've learned since I've been here now for six years is that Fans, even in that Nebraska game where the Gophers were just destroying Nebraska, it was never close. Everybody around me was like, well, you know, we've we've been through that Michigan <laughs> game on Halloween. We've seen some rough stuff. Just wait. Don't, don't get your hopes down now uh, if you're a Nebraska fan. And then when Penn State actually started to make a comeback and it had the ball at the end, and, you know, I just can't imagine – 
you know, it was such a perfect day. And then I got to think there were a ton of fans there who were probably sort of, you know, in their heart of hearts expecting the worst right there. Well, it sure looked that way at the end. I mean, the the Gophers, the, the, the kind of dirty secret that people aren't talking about because the Gophers won and because how obviously awesome a day it was for the program is that the, the defense was pretty bad <laughs> throughout the game. They actually right. gave up more yards to Penn State, 500-some than – than uh, than they got themselves. I think they were at four seventy somewhere around there. And and if it had had it not been for four incredible plays by defensive backs that if if they hadn't been made might have directly been touchdowns. There were two interceptions by uh, Antoine Winfield. There was a pass deflection in the end zone on fourth down, and there was another pass deflection on a deep pass that were all just perfect plays. And if any of those don't get made, uh, Penn State possibly has uh, or very probably I guess I should say has seven more points on the board and enough to win that game right and so you've now been to the last two Gophers games you've been to midweek press conferences and I keep watching the clips of PJ Fleck just because these press conferences are unlike any I've covered I've covered I don't know 50 plus head coach press conferences and none are even remotely comparable to P.J. Yeah. Fleck. What has it been like to be around this guy, to cover him for the last couple of weeks and just to to see what's going on? Well, he's a performance artist for sure. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it's it's uh, it's an act that um, I think had grown stale on some people even before he got here from his days at Western Michigan. Um, but, you know, the the bottom line is it, 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 it seems to be working. <laughs> you know, his uh, – his players have bought Certainly. in. Uh, the results are there. Clearly, there's more to him and to to what he does than just a lot of slogans. I mean, on Saturday he came he came into the press conference with this giant fake diamond in his hand, and then started to talk about how <laughs> he had all his players put a drop of coal into a bucket, and then they came back the next morning and it turned into this diamond. And it's stuff like that that if you're zero and nine, it's grounds for dismissal. Right. <laughs> but but when you're nine and zero, you can kind of smile and laugh it off, and 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 that's kind of you know when you talk like that, um, if the results are there, it can be a really powerful thing because clearly his players, who who by the way, are are just as airtight with him in terms of never cracking on the mantra of taking things one game at a time and. Uh, and row the boats and all the you know all the many sayings they have. So it's working for him right now. And uh, you know you hope that obviously I mean he even said it on Saturday they're not going to win every game for the rest of you know eternity obviously. Uh, but you really hope that this is a sign of um, good things to come for the program. A lot of these players are going to be back again next year. It's still a very young team. Yeah, and you can tell just how much they've bought in when you when you see the clips of them. Like, well, yeah, we went one and zero against Penn State. And it's just for somebody who has not been around the program, it's such a strange thing to have it. What do you mean you're one and zero against Penn State? You're nine and zero, a top ten team, maybe a top five. Team. What what are you talking about? But uh, just goes to show how much the players have bought into PJ Fleck, and it's working. So, Zach, as the Gophers season continues, uh, what can fans expect from the Athletic Minnesota in terms of coverage? We had at the game from TCF Bank Stadium. Uh, one of our national writers came into town, sat in PJ Flex's office just a couple hours after the win, broke it all down. John Krasinski, um, our do-it-all, do-everything-well writer, in addition to some Vikings coverage and Timberwolves coverage, went and sat down with Heather Fleck, PJ's wife, with former players, with season ticket holders, and just saw the biggest game at TCF Bank Stadium through their eyes, which was a really cool story that I'd certainly recommend people check out. Uh, but going forward... We have a massive stable of college football writers at The Athletic. What can fans expect going forward? 
Uh, well, I don't want to give away all of our secrets, and part of that's because <laughs> I don't know them all yet myself. But um, we, we'll be there uh, every game the rest of the way for sure. Uh, we already have that kind of all all figured out, and obviously uh, the next three weeks we know where those games will be. But the results there will uh, uh, dictate quite a bit about where we go after that. Obviously, uh, they have the inside track to to making it to Indianapolis for the Big Ten title game, which in and of itself would be incredible and and that getting to that point probably also um would would guarantee them a rose bowl bid just kind of depends on uh you know what happens with penn state and ohio state on the other side of things but um to think that you know the gophers are basically two wins away from uh locking up a trip to pasadena for the first time uh since 22 years before i was born (laughs) um it's kind of a crazy thing to think about there's still a lot of work to do obviously iowa uh, tough team, always a tough place to play down there at Kinnick, uh, Wisconsin, waiting for them at the end of the season. But they've got that Northwestern game in the middle, which should be one of those two wins. And uh, we're definitely not going to miss it um, the rest of the way. So it did take us a little while to uh, get coverage started on the Gophers, which we uh, which we acknowledge and admit just uh, we're not as uh, staffed up to handle it as, um, as we'd like to be. But uh, we're getting there now. So I'll be down in Iowa. Um, we're going to have national riders back for the Northwestern game and uh, very likely the Wisconsin game too, depending on um, what what all is at stake there. It's possible that they could have the division clinched before they even uh, set foot on the field against Wisconsin, <laughs> which would be which would be something else. Not, not that that would make that game any less significant really for the players. But, um, but yeah, uh, I'd say – Pretty good chance, uh, surprisingly good chance that this team goes to the Big Ten title game with at most one loss. And then if they do that, assuming the Rose Bowl and, and Southern California doesn't sound too bad on New Year's Eve. No, I think I'm going to cash in cash in a favor or two and uh, try to get myself <laughs> sent out there. But I imagine that game. It's a good thing you know the editor. Yeah, I imagine that game will attract some uh, some national interest as well. So I might not make the cut, <laughs> right. but uh, it's, it's an exciting thing. And and yeah, uh, you know, um, obviously they signed Fleck to the extension last week um which uh he then turned around immediately and validated this week with <laughs> uh with the win over Penn State but uh extensions only only means so much really in this game uh obviously a- any team could still come in and, and swoop him if they wanted to pay the uh 10 million dollar price tag for the buyout to get him out of his contract next year but um for now he has said all the right things he wants to be here uh wants to build this program up and i think one thing he said last week that really resonated, uh, you know, amid all of the sort of uh, cliche slogan coach speak stuff was he, he kind of he, he looked at what Iowa has done with Hayden Fry and Kirk Ferentz now and what uh, Wisconsin did with, with Barry Alvarez and how programs up in these, you know, outposts of the college football world can be good and can be sustainable over a long period of time. But he really preached how they need the consistency of leadership. You know, there's been how, however many head coaches here in the last decade or so. And it's just hard to get any traction and hard to build any sort of um, momentum for the program. So, you know, save that recording for, you know, the day the day he leaves <laughs> in two years or the day he's still here in, in you know, 10 or 15 years when the team is, uh, you know, perennially competitive. But it was cool to hear that. And, and uh, it's been it's been awesome to watch. And you just hope it keeps going. 
So lots more to come on The Athletic about the Gophers. If you want to read the massive stable of national writers, including Stuart Mandel, who ranks the Gophers number four in his rankings on The Athletic, you can do so for 40% off at theathletic.com slash straight cash. After all, this is the Straight Cash Podcast, a Vikings podcast. So let's get to... I was going to say, you gave me you gave me 10 <laughs> minutes of Gopher football talk. I'll take it. Yep. So... Uh, the, the big news that I suppose we buried behind all of that gopher football talk is that Kirk Cousins won a primetime game, I suppose technically outdoors. The roof was open at Jerry World in <laughs> Dallas uh, yeah. against a, a team over 500. Um, you know, I, I don't think that this was their prettiest win. Uh, it, it was certainly a very impressive one on the road against the Cowboys. I think that they actually have played better in some losses. Like that game in Lambeau, they were a disaster for the first quarter, but then they were a very, very good football team for the final three quarters. And it was just one bad play that cost them late. Of course, the Kirk Cousins interception in the end zone. However, this game you know, they, they had some issues. The Cowboys averaged more yards per attempt by a full yard than the Vikings did. Um, almost, I think, 75 more yards in total yards. The Cowboys went 9 of 15 on third down. But what you can say about these Vikings are that the offense, A, um, it is certainly improved from last season, and, and all signs are pointing to a very good offense. Um, Dalvin Cook is is legitimate. I mean, I, I don't know that that needed validation in this game, but he went against a franchise that's had Emmett Smith, went up against Ezekiel Elliott, who I think is widely viewed as the best running back in the NFL, and just flat out outplayed Ezekiel Elliott. Dalvin Cook in space was sensational. 26 carries, 97 rushing yards and a touchdown. Actually, he was over 100 rushing yards in the game, and then... Uh, while the Vikings were trying to chew up clock late and the Cowboys knew the Vikings were going to run, he lost a couple of yards. So not quite a 100-yard day for him on the ground, but he was also the Vikings' leading wide receiver in the game, a leading receiver with seven catches for 86 yards, leads the NFL in yards from scrimmage, just putting together a monster season. And I think especially with Adam Thielen out, which he could potentially be for this home game, uh, against the Denver Broncos. I think that Dalvin Cook just is that much more important. Stefan Diggs, of course, is still a very good wide receiver, but he's getting a ton of double coverages, bracket coverages. Teams are paying a lot of attention to Stefan Diggs that the Vikings are going to have to find other ways to beat teams. And and I think that, you know, they've they found one in, in Dalvin Cook so far. Zach, what were your main impressions or takeaways from the game? Well, Cook was just uh, astonishing, and, and you wrote about it uh, Sunday night, Chad. But the the fact that when they needed a touchdown uh, most after Dallas had taken the lead there late, they just were able to run it down their throats with Cook and, and obviously Madison too uh, was incredible to watch. And, and you just don't see that, obviously, a lot in, in this day and age. Usually a late deficit means you go to the air. And um, uh, after – two of their other three or two of their only three losses uh, on the season were situations where kind of, you know, those, those end game scenarios didn't go their way. Uh, it was time for them to get one <laughs> and yep. they did. And, and it's, it's funny how the narrative changes if, you know, if the Cowboys kind of take their head out of their rear end at the end there and um, you know, call plays that, uh, that had been working for them all game, which, you know, when you have a Princeton educated head coach, I guess <laughs> you can't always figure that out, but um, look at you mixing it, that in. Well done. If, if, uh, if that game, a nod to your alma mater, 
if if they find if the Cowboys find a way in the end zone there and it's a loss, now you're looking at another another week of, you know, why is everything Kirk Cousins throws behind the line of scrimmage? Um, you know, why can't the defense get anything done? Which is still um, a question that we that you asked uh, yesterday in your in your piece about the struggles that the cornerbacks had, but. Um, and if Dalvin Cook uh, fumbles that pitch t- oh, <laughs> towards the man. end of the game that he juggled, <laughs> that that's another situation where you just realize how fragile some of these narratives are. But you know the Vikings are now they're that Kirk Cousins interception and which is a, a bad five minutes of football against the Chiefs away from being nine and one right now. And you know you look at you look at the the playoff standings. There's been some separation now. It, it looks. Uh, a, a, a seven and three is the worst is the last team in the playoffs, <laughs> but there's a little bit of a drop off there to the teams behind it. So uh, the Vikings, and then also looking ahead to their uh, remaining schedule. I mean, they've still got Denver. They've still got the lions at home. They've got the bears at home, which looks a little less formidable <laughs> than it did at the beginning of the season. So uh, the, the, the division is still really there for the taking. If they can win just a couple of the, the kind of questionable games, obviously including the one against green Bay on their schedule, but that's a that's a that's a win that really changes the outlook the rest of the way. Seven and three versus six and four, uh, it's it's I mean it's one game, but it feels like a big difference in this context. One game, but also just the storylines that would have come of it, as you mentioned. Like if they are six and four with back to back losses on the road against good teams in that you know two week stretch against Kansas City and Dallas, where I think everybody knew they've got to win one of these games if they're a legit team, uh, just would have been so different, and even. So I'm I'm it was a late night cuz it's a, a Monday or Sunday night game and those always go late and uh the beauty and perk of not having deadlines at the athletic is that we can spend so much time writing the drawback is that uh back in my newspaper days the story had to be in at 11:45 or whatever <laughs> it was and whether it was good or bad you were on to the next day so uh, yeah. a little more Pressure, perhaps, to make sure that it's at least halfway decent if you're going to be in the press box till 2.30. But get back to the hotel at 3, quickly turn around, get on a flight the next day. And I'm sort of groggy, sitting on the flight, re-watching some of the game on my phone. And it's just amazing to think about how different it would have been had the Cowboys, you know, frankly, I think just had better play calls down the stretch. They go all the way to the Vikings' 11-yard line. They're 11 yards out from pulling off this win over the Vikings, a comeback win where, you know, I think we would have had two main takeaways. One, what what happened to this defense? This secondary, the Vikings, A, has been their strength for a long time. It's where they've invested, you know, seemingly a comical amount of draft picks, and yet it's still not working out. A place where they've invested a lot of money in Harrison Smith and Xavier Rhodes and bringing back Trey Waynes for a fifth year. And they're still having these sort of issues. And and two, the other part of the defense that I think is a bit confounding is this has always been under Mike Zimmer, a very good third down defense. There, there was no better third down defense in the history of the NFL than the Vikings 2017 season. They come back in 2018 and what do they do? They're number one in the NFL once again. And then to carry that over, it, it just looked so different, almost unrecognizable in Dallas from 2017 to 2018 to the performance they put out there is the Cowboys converted nine of 15 third downs. And I think it was even worse than that uh, before they finally got a stop there at the end. Uh, It's just rather amazing. And not just, you know, it wasn't like the Cowboys were picking up these nine third downs on, on third and one. There was a third and 12. There was a third and 12. There was a third and 14 to the point where by that final third and 14, 
you know, the Cowboys had already picked up two of these. They're they're pressed way back in on their side of the field. And I think I said to Courtney Cronin, the ESPN writer who was sitting next to me in the press box, like, just watch. Dak Prescott is going to throw it at Mike Hughes because he's been struggling all game and being picked on all game. Uh, and sure enough, the Cowboys, Dak Prescott makes a nice throw and the Cowboys pick up the first down. It was just strange. I don't know what the broadcast said about it, Zach, or if they mentioned it at all, but it was just bizarre to see a Vikings defense that poor on third down. I'm not sure the broadcast was that in tune with uh, <laughs> the history of Vikings on third down, but I, I think some of it is is probably you know inevitable regression to the mean. They can't be the best third down defense forever, but it was striking how many of them were long third downs that were converted. Um, and, and I think part of it relates to the cornerback struggles as well. Obviously, uh, when you're having trouble defending receivers downfield, there's going to be more opportunities on third and long, but there's also only so much you can do about what Amari Cooper did right. <laughs> with some of those catches on Sunday night, falling out of bounds and getting his, his feet down. And uh, back in my playing days, Chad, which were uh, not at any sort of high level, I I always thought like I played receiver. Was this Minnesota yeah. high school football? Yes, right. yes. Uh, I played receiver. They had us play a little bit of cornerback too. And I always thought like this this is a one of the hardest positions in sports, cornerback, because – if a good quarterback and a good receiver are on the same page, there's nothing you can do. <laughs> if they make a good throw and run a good route, there's nothing you can do. And I think that, um, you know, that's not an excuse for, uh, it's obviously a very rudimentary analysis and not an excuse for everything that's going wrong with the Vikings in the secondary. But yeah, I think those Amari Cooper catches are a certain example of that. Like, like when there are times where you just have to sort of, uh, and I think, I think that was Hughes's quote in your story yesterday, Chad, basically, you know, Hey, they get paid too. And sometimes you just, you can't do anything about it. But um, yeah, the, the, the cornerbacks, you're right. There's been a lot of money spent, a lot of high draft picks spent. Um, but I think this league catches up to you fast in some ways, some of the, uh, some of the older players on the team that might be part of the issue, but uh, and for the young guys, maybe just not developing the way that that way that we've the uh, you know that that you would hope with a with a pick that high, but it's definitely something that uh, you know if you want to think this team has any chance in January, it's going to have to be shored up. Yeah, well, one of the takeaways that I had as as I was you know walking out of that press box in Dallas, which you know it's a beautiful stadium. Don't get me wrong, it's great. They've got a keg in the press box, so there's not a whole lot to complain about. I do prefer I think slightly U.S. Bank Stadium perhaps it's just the couple of extra years that they got to study Jerry World and all of that uh, but just a little nod to Minneapolis that that was great uh, but back to what I was thinking on the way out um, is that Cooper was so good at those sort of toe drag catches where Dak Prescott essentially throws the ball out of bounds and just trust Cooper to keep two feet in and, and go get it I think one of the things that I was thinking, though, is that the only wide receiver who may be better than Cooper at that is is uh, Tyler Wackett in Seattle. And maybe the only quarterback playing better than Dak Prescott this season is Russell Wilson in Seattle. And so uh, I don't think that the Vikings are going to have their hands full for this Denver Broncos game. Perhaps if there weren't the bye separating things, this might be a bit of a trap game with Seattle looming. Um, but after the Bills game last year and, and just... You know, with the with the way that I think Zimmer has handled this season, I'm not too worried from a Vikings perspective about that Broncos game. The Broncos, you know, who knows who's going to be their quarterback? Drew Locke was back practicing this week, and and you know, it seems like it would be a quick turnaround for him. But you know, we'll see what happens there. Either way, 
I think that the Vikings secondary will probably get back on track against the Broncos if for no other reason than the Broncos just don't have a lot of good playmakers there. But of course, the game after that is a visit to Seattle again. I think this is the third straight year that they've played the Seahawks. They've been playing them, you know, probably five times the last three years, if you include the preseason. But this is a visit back almost a year to the day after they fired John Day Flippo. And so there will be a lot of storylines about the offense and how different the the Vikings offense looks. And, and we'll get into some of that, I'm sure. But if the secondary is not shored up, if the defense, you know, the, the pass rush, I think, was okay yesterday. We're just so used to, or okay on Sunday. We're just so used to it being great. And I think that Linval Joseph being out hurt. Um, but if the secondary plays in Seattle the way that, they played in Dallas, the Vikings may have to score 35, 38 points to win that game. I just, you know, I I think that it's a great thing for the Vikings that it's coming off of a bye. And Zimmer, I think is, is one of the best 10, if not five coaches in the NFL. And so the more time that you can give him to scheme something up, the better, but there's certainly no doubt that the Vikings defense and the secondary needs to improve. Now, having said all of that, you know, I think Part of what we should look at on the flip side is that the offense, you know, even without Adam Thielen, picked up 27 first downs. There weren't sort of the massive explosive plays that perhaps we've gotten used to with this team, but Kirk Cousins, you know, did everything that you'd ask of him. He wasn't sensational, but he made a few nice throws. He had a throw to the back of the end zone to Kyle Rudolph that Rudolph caught with one hand that, you know, I I, I think you could imagine coaches up in the press box yelling, no, no, what are you doing? And then Rudolph comes down with the catch. Like, yeah, yeah, good play, good play. Almost like what you see in basketball when somebody takes a, an ill-advised three-pointer that goes in. But um, you, Kirk Cousins won a primetime game. I I didn't know exactly how to approach him with the question after the game because he's always been sensitive to that topic. Uh, but I, I thought it was worth bringing up. I, I did ask him about it after the game, and he basically said, you know, I don't think he loved the question, but he basically said, look, I'm not going to, you know, suddenly I'm not going to evaluate this different than any other because it was prime time. If the Cowboys complete that Hail Mary, if J. Ron Kirsch doesn't come down with the interception there, then this is another primetime loss for me. And everybody's saying, oh, look, Kirk Cousins can't win in primetime, even though my performance wouldn't have changed at all, which I think is, is a valid excuse. However, with three more primetime games on the schedule, I got to think, Zach, that this was a big one. Just, if nothing else, for fans to at least be able to take a sigh of relief and say, all right, our quarterback, this team, can win some of these big games in primetime. Yeah, and I think any way you spin it, that Seattle game is going to be a tough one. But um, what's what's interesting about it is, so the Packers are on bye this week, and then obviously the Vikings have the Broncos, and then they go on bye in the week the Vikings are on by, the Packers are in San Francisco to take on the Niners. So there's a very good chance that heading into that uh, Seattle week, uh, they are tied with the Packers for first in the NFC North. So it'll be a little extra significance for them on that game, not just because of the division race, but because obviously the Seahawks are uh, a, a chief rival in the wild card race and may even end up overtaking San Francisco in the West. So that that is... The win over Dallas was nice. I think we're still – I think John said this in the preview on Saturday. We're, are we even sure Dallas is really good? Because they, right. they haven't really – they haven't beaten anybody yet. I'm never going to sneeze at a win in Dallas. But um, I still feel like there's that element of um, 
uh, waiting for the Vikings to really show up against a team that's going to be there in January. Uh, and maybe that's a fool's errand to wait for that to happen, but Seattle is going to be a, a very big test. And so I agree that Kirk Cousins getting that uh, getting that one under the belt, uh, he, can, he can spin it in his head however he wants. It's a win in prime time against a really good Dallas team. Fine, convince yourself of that because uh, when Seattle comes around, that truly is a good team, and you're right. I think they're going to need – uh, you know they've kind of been in that twenty-point range lately here in these in these big road games. They're going to need thirty, I think, in that one. Yeah, that'll certainly be fascinating. And that Monday night game is just you know I I think that there's no way to get around the importance of that game because I think there's a chance that the Vikings could still win eleven games, which would be going I think four and two down the stretch. Um, and so they're eleven and five, and I still think there's a chance that they could actually get the second wild card spot with a with an 11 and 5 record which is just astounding to think about uh but it, it does underscore i think that importance of the week 16 game against the green bay packers monday night uh potentially for the division or at least for control going into week 17 of the division uh december 23rd right before the holidays it, that that one should be a massive one before we let you go zach any thoughts um on the the finish to the season, either for the Gophers or the Vikings, this has been a a pretty positive <laughs> podcast. It seems like we both think that uh, the Gophers are probably headed to Pasadena unless they can pull off some sort of miracle upset against Ohio State. Um, and it seems like we both think that the Vikings could go. You know, not I don't want to say easily, but there's a decent chance that the Vikings win 11 games this season. What, what are your thoughts as we wrap up? Well, I'm not going to count the gopher chickens until they <laughs> beat, beat either Iowa or you Wisconsin. You did grow up but, here, didn't um, you? Right, yeah, yeah. Um, but certainly have the inside track to the Rose Bowl right now. It's all it's all in their hands. Just got to win two more games. And the more I read about Iowa, the more I'm uh, less impressed about the, the team itself. I think that um, this is a, a, a favorable matchup for the gophers and uh, – it's just the fact that it's at a, a place where they uh, they don't like to play or haven't liked to play very much recently. That kind of makes it a little bit extra tricky. But I think uh, I, I feel pretty good about where the Gophers are at. The Vikings, you, you say eleven and five. I, I mean, I think this team can be twelve and four. Um, I think they definitely should be eleven and five. But uh, that that Packer game is obviously going to be kind of a a pivot point for whether it's. 11 and five or 12 and four, but really the Seahawks road game at this point is the only one on the schedule left that, that I kind of just can't find a way to right. <laughs> talk myself into a victory. Uh, that, that's, uh, you know. I, I know you were watching the game last night too, but as I was watching that, that was really all I was thinking about was like, how are the Vikings, you know, certainly how is any defense because San Francisco has one of the best defenses, right? How is any defense? How's this Vikings defense coming off that game in Dallas going to slow down Russell Wilson? I don't yet have an answer. Yeah, but uh, Broncos at home, Lions at home. The Chargers game will essentially be a home game because uh, they don't have any fans there in, <laughs> in L.A. And um, and then, yeah, uh, Packers and Bears at home. I mean, if they come into that uh, Packer game at 10-4, and four, they're going to still be in the mix, I think, in the NFC North, and there's going to be a lot of motivation. Obviously, it's not, a, not an easy game by any stretch, but they win that, and, uh, and then I think, you know, 12-4 and four is there, and that – crazily enough might still not be enough <laughs> for uh to get out of the wild card spot but um it's uh it, it should happen i think i think 11 wins should happen for sure um and and that's you know that's a step in the right direction from where they were at last year of course but um you know i think 
for where this team was at two years ago and for what the fan base here was expecting out of that team and, and the subsequent teams, it's still, uh, you know, an 11 and five wild card is going to be tough to feel good about unless they can go on a run in the playoffs. Yeah. will certainly be interesting to follow before we wrap up. I do want to encourage you to check out straight from the source, a new podcast with Michael Russo. Uh, Zach has to edit all of Russo's very long stories. I spent many Correct. nights uh, on the road with Russo. So the two of us know him very well. He, he, has a new podcast where he sits down with various guests and few people can get guests just sort of opening up and rolling and speaking honestly like Michael Russo can. So check out Straight From The Source. He he sits down with these people. The latest episode is Joe O'Donnell, the longtime voice of the Iowa Wild, um, who, you know, talks about he made his NHL debut, which is, you know, I think a, a really cool thing is he filled in for Bob Kurtz. He talks about fulfilling his dream of calling an NHL game, discusses life, riding the minor league buses and dissects uh, most every prospect on the Iowa Wild. So who wouldn't want to hear that? Uh, so for more on the Wild, check out Straight From The Source with Michael Russo. And for Zach, thank you, as always, for listening to the Straight Cash Podcast.